Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, a trustee of the Royal Academy of Arts and very proud to be so. Welcome to our podcast. The most crucial thing I think I can tell you is that anybody who thinks they know the answers to all these questions uh, needs to book their place in the lunatic asylum because uh, it can't be done. Uh, there aren't definitive answers to all the problems. Uh, and that's one of the things, of course, that makes it incredibly interesting. I've occasionally thought that if some wretched scientist invented a time machine, all we Renaissance art historians would instantly be out of a job because we'd just jump in the capsule and go back and watch Giorgione painting the thing and know whether he did it or not. Uh, however, what I can also say, I think, is that his case is peculiarly difficult. Uh, the whole business of how you go about establishing who, do, who did what in the Renaissance uh, is worse in his instance than almost any other. And I thought I'd just uh, give you, by way of preliminary, um, a few sort of comparative analogies. And uh, one case in point would be Raphael, because uh, we don't know, for a starter, when Giorgione was born, but people think around something like 1477, 78, something like that. Uh, Raphael's born in 1483, so he is actually uh, fairly near contemporary of uh, Giorgione's. But there's a major difference, uh, which is that, well, there are many, but one of them is that Raphael is more inclined to sign pictures, even occasionally sportingly dates pictures, uh, and he does quite a lot of work for public contexts. You're seeing on the left uh, an early altarpiece by Raphael, the crucifixion, which is in the National Gallery, and then next to it, the entombment of Christ in the Borghese Gallery in Rome. Uh, the uh, crucifixion dates from his first period in Umbria around Perugia, and then he moves to Florence, and the entombment is from his Florentine period. And we have a really quite developed sense, and a pretty plausible one, of the evolution of his work, because this is one of the other crucial things. You have to try to think uh, about dates, because clearly, if you're comparing two things and they're quite separate in date, uh, you can't expect them to look the same, even if they're by the same artist, because certainly great artists tend to change as they go along. And this is only um, further demonstrated by uh, the sorts of works we get from Raphael's final decade when he's in Rome, uh, the Saint Cecilia on the left, the Transfiguration, the last altarpiece he executed on the right. Uh, and so we're moving from the early 1500s in the case of that crucifixion to 1520, the year of his death, the picture on the right here of the Transfiguration. The other thing I think is terribly important is to try to compare like with like. So comparing an altarpiece, which is a huge public work, with a tiny Madonna is not the ideal way of doing it. And that's one of the reasons also why it's so difficult with Giorgione, because there are very few works that are even candidates. Raphael is uh, competent in all sorts of different domains, and I'm not showing you all of them, but I'm just showing you here a couple of portraits by Raphael. So we have a whole body of portraits, as well as altarpieces, as well as small Madonnas, and indeed frescoes by Raphael. 
But there's one other thing, and I'm not showing it to you in connection with Raphael, but with another artist, which differentiates, let's say, Raphael and many other artists from Giorgione, which is that we have a substantial body of drawings. And if drawings can be connected with paintings and seem to be uh, preliminary studies for the same work, then you have a sporting chance of saying, well, okay, if this drawing is by Raphael, then maybe the painting that connects with it has something to do with Raphael. And uh, the other thing that I ought to add is that sometimes when we don't have all the names, all the identities, what we nevertheless uh, at least feel we can do is to connect the style of the works because a lot of this, uh, when you don't have documentation, when you don't have signatures, when you don't have things like contracts or other sorts of documents, is on the basis of the judgment of the eye. Now, the judgment of the eye is notoriously fallible, and everybody thinks they're getting it right and that everybody else is getting it wrong, but uh, it's not complete uh, moonshine and nonsense, I would uh, suggest. And uh, this pairing is chosen very deliberately because the painting on the left and indeed the drawing on the right were... Uh, believed to be by an anonymous artist, and in the sense of an unidentified artist, uh, who was generally known after a picture uh, that had belonged to some people called Orombelli as the Orombelli Master. So there's a whole, there was a whole group of works by the Orombelli Master, including uh, these two, and these are very connected because this is a study for this altarpiece. The actual details of the composition are very different, but the appearance of the same saints makes it clear that it is a first plan for that altarpiece, so do certain other things to do with patronage, as a matter of fact. And then, uh, not so very long ago, somebody found the contract document uh, for the altarpiece, which revealed the name of the artist, who's called Gian Francesco Tora. Uh, he's a very minor artist from Mantua, but everything about his biography does indeed fit with everything that had been assumed to work for the Orombelli master. So that's a case where you can have a grouping, and uh, I'll talk about this a little more in relation to Giorgione, because I think most people are in agreement about a certain group of works. It's just a question of whether they're by Giorgione or not that they disagree on. Uh, painting and drawing can be a really helpful guide, and I'm just showing you very quickly two other examples. Um, and they're both, again, rather minor artists, because normally in the case of people like Raphael, uh, you don't need in the first instance to pin down what their first uh, known drawing or connected drawing looks like because that's already been done in the 16th century for you. But this is an interesting case in point where it wasn't until 1957 that a great scholar called A.E. Popham, who was in charge of prints and drawings at the British Museum, connected uh, the drawing on the left, which is indeed in the British Museum collection, with this mystic marriage of St. Catherine on the right, which is in uh, a lordly private collection in the UK. Uh, now, the compositional similarities, I think, are pretty incontrovertible. It's clear that they go together, and moreover, it seems pretty clear 
that the drawing is an exploratory first idea, it's not some kind of copy after the painting. But what's also interesting is that in this particular instance, when Popham made the connection, he actually got the artist wrong, uh, as we would now say, and I think fairly confidently say. He thought they were both by somebody called Bernardino Gatti. Uh, they're not. They're by a different artist who worked in Parma called Giorgio Gandini del Grano. But he did at least get the connection, and that meant that other drawings by this artist could be associated with uh, the key connected drawing. Somewhat similar uh, state of affairs here, and again with one of these super minor people whom, uh, frankly, virtually nobody's ever heard of. Uh, this is a drawing, uh, again in a private collection, and it's part of an album with lots of drawings that are stuck into a book. Uh, and that was done a very, very long time ago. And somebody has written in pencil, Correggio question mark. Well, they were quite right in thinking it was near to the great painter who worked in Parma, Correggio. But it's not actually by him, it's by one of his hangers on. The Madonna and child in the drawing do correspond really remarkably closely with the Madonna and child in this painting. And this painting, again, is uh, secure in its attribution because it's actually signed. Again, what a hero. Why didn't blooming Giorgione ever do that? Uh, the stinker. Um, uh, it's signed by this character called Francesco Maria Rondani. Now, when the connection, which I shouldn't swank, but I made, uh, was made, there weren't any secure drawings by Rondani, but now there are. If other candidate drawings come up, then the way of uh, deciding will be, obviously, to compare them with this guy. It's not the case that there are very many drawings in Venice in this period. So that's one of the lines of, as it were, attack that's cut off for us conveniently or inconveniently. Um, but it's equally not absolutely the case that nobody else ever signed or even dated on the contrary. And uh, what I'm showing you here is a wonderful painting which is upstairs and normally lives in Birmingham by Giovanni Bellini, and it's signed and it's dated 1505. Uh, the picture on the right, the San Zaccaria altarpiece from the Church of San Zaccaria in Venice, also signed by Giovanni Bellini, also uh, dated 1505. So there you have two works done in the same year by the same artist, and he's giving us confirmation both of his authorship and of the date. This allows you to think about other things and reflect on what might or might not be by him if there are things that are not signed. Uh, that's a tremendous aid. Uh, as I say, in the case of Giorgione, almost none of these aids are forthcoming. Before moving directly onto Giorgione, I want to make one other crucial point. Uh, one of the things that's constantly being done is to find connections and resemblances and analogies between works. And this is indeed a very, very important uh, tool. And let's say in the case of the Rondini, it's the fact that the Madonna and Child uh, look like the Madonna and Child in the painting in, uh, and the drawing, they look the same. However, it's crucial 
to recollect or to recall that it's not always the case that when two things are uh, visually linked in some way that they're by the same artist. And this is very, very important in the context of Giorgione. And again, the exhibition uh, demonstrates that in the most wonderful way because uh, this painting, which is in the exhibition, uh, clearly Madonna and Child in this painting are directly related, indeed, as we will see, derived from the San Zaccaria altarpiece. But here, too, uh, this heroic artist has signed and dated. He's called Domenico Mancini, and he dates the picture 1511. So uh, there really can't be much doubt that he's looking at Giovanni Bellini, which is kind of what you'd expect, because Giovanni Bellini was a supremely celebrated artist, and Domenico Mancini a considerably less celebrated artist, although on the evidence of this, a really very good artist. Uh, but the, the dates allow us to be pretty certain of the direction of travel of the influence. Uh, I think it's uh, magnificent that this painting is in the exhibition in, in a general sort of a way. Uh, also, because it demonstrates that people who are really very, very little known can also still be very good. So you can't just say, and this is crucial for the Giorgione problem, you can't just say, well, it's bloody marvelous, so it must be by Giorgione. This doesn't work as an intellectual process because uh, actually the bit he's done which is not coming from Giovanni Bellini, namely the musician angel. He's very much changed the musician angel from Giovanni Bellini's musician angel. This is, in some ways, the most creative and exciting and visually uh, arresting bit of the picture, and that's down to Mancini. It's also, in the most broad uh, sense, Giorgio-esque, incidentally. The only thing I regret uh, about this picture being in the exhibition is that it's from a very obscure place called Lendinara and uh, somehow I'd managed to go and see it uh, and I always used to feel when arguing with at least uh, British Giorgione experts, not Italian ones, that if things got really tough you could always say, but have you seen the Domenico Mancini in Lendinara? And they'd normally say, no, and then you could sort of be rather superior and say, oh, really? Well, and then you expect me to believe what you're on about. But now everybody's seen it, so my cover is blown. Um, now, in terms of analogy, uh, here's, a, here's a perfect case. On the right is The Trial of Moses, fascinating painting in the Uffizi, uh, which is in the exhibition again upstairs, and uh, which many, many people believe to be uh, an early work by Giorgione. Personally, I can't quite see it, but it's a picture of real uh, merit and quality. Now, one of the things that's been observed about it is that the lady in the middle, who's holding the infant Moses here, is extremely... She's not absolutely identical, but she's jolly similar to this lady in this fresco in Padua, um, in a place called the Scoletta del Carmine of the birth of the Virgin. Who painted the fresco is far from clear. Uh, some people think it may be by an artist called uh, Giulio Campagnola, 
There's also been a suggestion that it's by a different artist called Leonardo Corona. And the person who believes it's by Corona also believes because of uh, the connection between the figures, among, I suppose, other things, but I think particularly because of that, that the trial of Moses must be by Corona. Uh, I can't see this at all because the style of these two pictures seems completely different. Um, Bellini did not paint the Mancini, Mancini did not paint the Bellini, and I don't think uh, these pictures were painted by the same artist. I think they were painted by two different artists. And incidentally, and I know it's very difficult to see with these images, but this is much more backward looking in artistic style. The way in which the figures' faces are done, the way their draperies are done, looks much more like the work of Mantegna than, as it were, the better tomorrow of the new 16th century in uh, the world of, around the world of Giorgione. Sometimes, of course, it may be that the similarity does have something to do with them being by the same artist, and this is at least potentially a case in point, a case in point to which uh, I will also return. Um, and the reason is that the Venus on the left, which is in Dresden, uh, appears to be recorded in a very, very important text, a text which is just about our only hope of any salvation in relation to uh, Giorgione. And I brought it along. Uh, you can now, courtesy of the miracle of the internet, you can get hold of, it's a sort of what I call a glorified photocopy of the original publication of this book. Um, it was published in the 19th century from a manuscript that was never published and indeed never finished. Uh, at the time of its original publication, it wasn't known who was the author of that manuscript, but that is now known, and he's called Marcantonio Michiel. And Marcantonio Michiel was somebody who evidently knew a lot about art, and what he does in his manuscript notes is to talk about places, particularly, and collections, and to say, in this place, you could see such and such, and it was by whoever it was. As a matter of fact, because it's a, a working manuscript, sometimes, most infuriatingly, he says, and the statue of Christ was by dot, 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 and he's never got around to filling it in. I presume he sort of thought, oh, I'm sure my friend Kevin knows who did that, but he never got around to asking him, or maybe Kevin didn't know. In the case of a picture in his manuscript, he says that there was a sleeping Venus uh, in a landscape with a Cupid. Now, I know uh, you can't see a Cupid, but uh, trust me, underneath here, the X-rays uh, and infrareds reveal that there was once a Cupid. The Cupid has been painted out, but there was a Cupid. Uh, sleeping Venus with a Cupid. And then he says, and it was by Giorgione, but the Cupid and the landscape was by Titian. Uh, this only complicates matters because what Michiel, who really does seem pretty close to the action in terms of Giorgione uh, and would have been talking to people very often who commissioned and owned these pictures originally, what he's saying is that you can't think just 
uh, you can't guarantee to think in terms of one artist per picture. Uh, so that makes it even more tricky. Uh, more recently, doubt has been cast on the idea that this painting is the one that uh, Michiel is talking about, and there's a very particular reason, and that is that in the 17th century, uh, somebody who wrote uh, a public and published book about Venetian art called Ridolfi uh, talks about what appears to be exactly the same picture because it's passed down uh, in the same collection, and he says that the Cupid was playing with a little bird. Now, the X-rays and infrareds uh, according to the people who deciphered them, uh, used to, uh, they, used, they used to say that it, there was a little bird there. Uh, more recently, people have said, no, there is no little bird. Uh, and this has led a lot of people to say, well, then it can't be the picture that um, uh, Rodolphe was talking about. I have to say, I wondered whether Rodolphe made up the bit about the little bird or got it wrong. I mean, uh, people do sometimes make mistakes. Even, indeed, Michiel can be proved on very rare occasions to have made mistakes. Um, it's certainly striking that here uh, the landscape background does reappear in what is uh, uncontroversially agreed by, I think, everybody to be an early painting by Titian, namely his Noli Me Tangere in the National Gallery. So if the Dresden Venus is not the picture, uh, Michiel is talking about, then you have to imagine a different sleeping Venus, uh, also with the Cupid, also with the landscape, uh, but which then might be by somebody else. Maybe, maybe you want it to be all by Titian, but I will return to that. Repeat of figure. Well, here's a drawing where the lady corresponds, but that doesn't mean they're by the same artist. These are both very problematic, as a matter of fact. Uh, when I was a lad, the picture on the right was certainly a Giorgione. It's now increasingly thought to be a Titian, and maybe Titian had something to do with the drawing, but the connection is a tricky one, but the correspondence of the figure is incontrovertible. I should add, I'm sorry, I should just add before moving on, uh, the drawings in the exhibition. The painting is not. Uh, and if you wanted a really extreme case of um, where you don't need to uh, you know, stay up uh, all night in order to work out there by different artists, then uh, you couldn't ask for a better one uh, than this. Uh, the picture on the right, which by great good fortune I saw last week in a rather um, unexpected exhibition about El Greco in um, Treviso, is by a Greek Madonna painter, a sort of um, crypto El Greco-like figure, who's called Zorzi Sotirko. Uh, I googled his name several times. I don't know why I didn't just do it once. Uh, and he all but doesn't seem to exist. But he, again, unlike Giorgione, is a good sport and he's put his name here. Uh, but the reason I'm showing his um, sort of Greek icon-like image and I know it's very difficult to see this, but that here in the corner is the young shepherd from this print, again, sign print, by Giulio Campagnola. Now, nobody, just because of that connection, would think that this was painted by Giulio Campagnola. And in fact, the old um, 
Giorgio, or Zorzi, um, as he is in the Venetian, uh, was clearly um, not allergic to Giulio Campagnola because uh, this is another Giulio Campagnola print and the buildings in the background here reappear in the background of his Tobias and the Angel. There are borderline cases, there are tricky ones where similar or virtually the same figure appears, but again, that isn't a proof that they're by the same uh, person. And here are two pictures that are in the exhibition. Uh, the one above, uh, which is in the Prado, I think is uh, really pretty uncontroversially agreed to be a work by Titian, and it uh, represents uh, the Virgin and Child uh, between Saints Anthony of Padua and San Rocco. Uh, Titian was in Padua painting frescoes in the early part of the 1510s, and it's rather tempting to suppose that this commission uh, was given to him around that time. So Anthony of Padua is not a saint who can only uh, appear in Padua, but the connection is quite enticing and there is also uh, an interesting, uh, slightly later fresco in a church in Padua called San Francesco by an artist called Campagnola, Domenico Campagnola, where exactly the same, it's not the same poses, but the same arrangement of, uh, the same personnel of figures is to be found. Uh, the painting down below of Christ and the woman taken in adultery from Glasgow is very, very widely believed to be by Titian as well. And I think you can see that the general idea of the pose of San Rocco in the uh, picture from Madrid, where incidentally he's standing on a rock, uh, which is a sort of pun on his name. Uh, and this character here in the Christ and the woman taken in adultery, their general pose is remarkably similar. I can't personally, although I'm a terrible heretic in this respect, uh, see the Glasgow picture as being by Titian, because the whole understanding of space and the treatment of the perspective and so on seems not the same, but that's something, as it were, to be discussed. What is for sure is that this notion of the sort of chap with his leg up was uh, doing the rounds a bit in Venetian painting, and it's not the case at all, of course, that either of these pictures, which I've deliberately chosen because they've got nothing to do with this new generation, uh, they're, they're not at all uh, to do with the world of uh, Titian or Giorgione. This is a picture um, coming out of Giovanni Bellini, and so in a different way is this. Uh, this is by an artist called Marco Bazaiti. Uh, but you can see that that sort of lifted leg thing is uh, quite prevalent. And here's a different kind of example where I don't think they're by the same artist, but the visual idea is surely absolutely the same and fascinatingly uh, is transposed and it's hard to know which direction it's going in, either from a religious context into a portrait or vice versa. But the stunning uh, Christ carrying the cross on the left, sometimes said to be, uh, by an artist called Pordenone, and the man on the right, who may well be by Palma Vecchio, they're very, very similar in pose. It's hard to believe that these 
two artists just by chance came up with the same idea, but exactly what the direction of travel is and who did what, much more uh, problematic. And that turning around and looking was more generally uh, part of the uh, visual obsession in the world around Giorgione, and you see it in the Three Ages of Man. It's not identical, but it's the same sort of notion of somebody almost hearing their name spoken and turning, or hearing something going on around behind them. Uh, a different kind of potential route to understanding uh, might be to think about the sorts of things or artists that artists look at. So uh, the sorts of influences they're impressed by or fascinated by. And uh, the picture on the right, also in the exhibition, of course, uh, by Titian, again, universally agreed to be by Titian, although terrible fights go on as to quite what date it might be, um, from Antwerp, uh, shows something in a way mildly surprising about Titian, which is that he's extremely interested in all sorts of artistic developments and influences coming from Rome. He's often thought of, especially in his early period, as being sort of super Venetian, but actually he's a bit more open-minded and he seems to know about things in Raphael and Michelangelo, but also, and that's why I chose this example, um, the antique. And uh, this is a detail from a sarcophagus now in Vienna, uh, representing all the muses. And it's this lady on the left who pops up. I know you can only just see her, but you can go and see her in the show. There she is. And she's absolutely the same idea. So he knows about that. Uh, the sarcophagus in Vienna was in Rome in the early 16th century. And similarly, uh, this is a woodcut. These are both details from a woodcut by Titian called The Triumph of Faith. And you can see that St. Christopher is derived from a print by uh, somebody called Marcantonio Raimondi after Raphael, and that the a uh, good thief here, in reverse, is taken from Michelangelo's conception for the Battle of Cashina. So, you may have wondered whether we'd ever really get there, but we've got to Giorgione. And I'm now going to start, I believe, with things that are reasonably secure and then sort of spread out and try to um, examine the difficulties and complexities. And this ghost is uh, pretty securely by Giorgione, the only problem being that it's a complete wreck. And that's another very, very important point to make. When you look at these pictures and see how massacred some of them are, um, it's not surprising that it's hard to work out who they're by. You sometimes wonder whether the artists who made them would know that it was the thing they painted. And I was rereading Michiel on the train down from Huntingdon this morning. And even in his day, he makes a reference to a picture that's horribly bashed up and has gone all yellow. So if that's what was going on in the 1520s or 1530s, what hope you might say have we uh, ourselves? Uh, this is a fresco fragment from a work that's documented as being uh, by Giorgione, an external facade on a building in Venice called the Fondaco 
de Tedeschi, the sort of German merchant's warehouse. Uh, it is a ghost, but it's a ghost that gives you an idea of what he might have got up to. Two pictures by him have inscriptions uh, on the back, little tiny sort of manuscript uh, inscriptions, as it were, which seem entirely reliable. Uh, the one on the left, on the back of the Laura, which is in Vienna, sadly not in the show, uh, gives a date of 1506 and also says he was connected with an artist. He was a sort of in partnership almost with an artist called Catena. Uh, the one on the right, which is in the exhibition, uh, the so-called terrace portrait from San Diego, again has an inscription saying it's by Giorgione, or as they say in Venetian, Zorzon. Uh, and it says 15, and then it's rather hard to read the other bit, uh, which again is uh, incredibly frustrating, but super-duper scientific technology has been applied, and the latest and very recent catalogue of the San Diego collection says that it really does seem likely this is 15.6. So if they're both 15.6, that might give us some sort of point, fixed point within a career. Um, we don't know when he began. If he's really born in the late 1470s, then he could have begun perfectly well before 1500. We just know he dies in 1510. But we might not need to squeeze it all into 10 years. We might have a bit more. Uh, there are also works that are referred to by Michiel and that are unimpeachably the pictures uh, that Michiel's talking about. Uh, the famous one on the left, The Tempest in the Academia in Venice, uh, which he discusses. And the picture on the right, the so-called Three Philosophers, uh, where, again, he slightly muddies the waters by saying it was begun by Giorgione but finished by Sebastiano del Piombo, uh, an artist represented in the show. Uh, different people have had different ideas as to what Sebastiano might or might not have done. Um, my teacher, the great Michael Hurst, who wrote a wonderful book about Sebastiano, says that it would be this figure, particularly the sleeve and the head, that might be the work of Sebastiano because they seem different from the rest. Uh, Charles Hope, uh, an eager controversialist in all matters to do with Giorgione, uh, says clearly uh, the entire picture is by Sebastiano del Piombo and you know, Giorgione might have sort of um, more or less walked near it and um, you know, sort of sp spread a bit of paint across it. Um, for 30 seconds. Uh, I don't actually agree with that. But another point to make here is that uh, all our ideas about what is right are inevitably to some extent to do with, as it were, where we come from intellectually and even possibly geographically. Um, and uh, sitting in our audience is a very eminent Italian art historian of the Renaissance, who's written a mighty and remarkable book on Giorgione, Enrico Dal Pazzolo, and uh, Italians in general are more, as it were, embracing of a bigger Giorgione than Brit. And if I were an Italian, I'd probably be more open. If uh, Enrico were a Brit, he'd probably be more narrow in his conception of Giorgione. That's just the way it is. Uh, the other thing I brought along was the catalogue of the 1955 Giorgione exhibition in Venice. 
Uh, if you look through this book and see some of the things that were called Giorgione, um, I don't think even, uh, you know, I mean, David Blunkett would know they weren't by Giorgione. <laughs> uh, the, I'm sorry, this is even more horribly pixelated than everything else, but uh, this is another very interesting case because this corresponds to a picture that Michiel discusses. Unfortunately, the picture doesn't exist, and this is a copy done in the 17th century by somebody called David Tenius. Uh, but it gives us a conception, an invention by Giorgione, and maybe, why not, let's fantasize, somebody might have this in their attic, so maybe it'll come back one day. Uh, I talked about groups at the very beginning, and I think there is a reasonably coherent group of pictures that go together. I personally think they're early Giorgione, but other people uh, beg to differ. Uh, the Ashmolean Madonna and Child, which is in the show, the Adoration of the Magi, which is in the National Gallery, so quite near at hand for you to go and see, and these two, which were in Washington, the Benson Holy Family and the Allendale Nativity. Now, in the case of the Allendale Nativity, and this isn't a proof that it's a Giorgione, but one of the interesting things about it is that it's a visual idea that people were really interested in. Uh, this is an early and quite good copy of the picture uh, from Washington, which is in Vienna. And this is a drawing. Um, maybe it's a preliminary study for the picture. Maybe it's a copy of such a study. You can see that there are various differences. It's not identical. It's in Windsor. But this picture has a currency. And as I say, that doesn't prove it's a Giorgione, but it does seem to suggest that it was taken note of. And the same goes big time for this work, uh, the uh, Castelfranco altarpiece. This altarpiece for the town of Castelfranco, uh, which is the town from which Giorgione came. He's often called Giorgione or Giorgio da Castelfranco in the early sources. Uh, this painting was in this slightly remote spot, and yet it was clearly of enormous uh, interest, as I hope I can very, very quickly demonstrate. It's first actually mentioned as a Giorgione by uh, Rodolfi in his book, which I think is 1671, so that's really quite late, but that doesn't mean that he's not right. Uh, and as you can see, it's as you will see, it's always this knightly saint who's the one whom everybody got gripped by. Oh, pretty well everybody. Here he is, and here he is in a later copy in the National Gallery. But he's also in reverse in this altarpiece by somebody called Vincenzo Dalle Destre. He's also pretty much in this uh, Palma Vecchio, uh, and he's also in this uh, fresco, by somebody called Pellegrino da San Daniele. So he sort of does the rounds and even, and this is a much later picture, um, in the circle of somebody called Bonifacio de Pitati, but he's even there again in reverse. That visual idea was very widely known indeed. Sometimes regardless of name, you can just take a pair of pictures and try to compare them visually and decide whether you think they can be by the same artist. These two are offered up in the show side by side, uh, the one on the right from the Hermitage, the other the Oxford uh, Madonna I've shown you already. 
even allowing for differences of period, I can't make them be by the same artist personally. I just don't see it. And actually, I'll own up and say, I don't think that the quality, the standard of the painting of the faces in this one is good enough for our guy. Um, a different kind of analogy, it's not a perfect one, but the lady from the Fondaco dei Tedeschi does seem to have something at least in common with this remarkable picture, <clears throat> also from the Hermitage of Judith, which is in fact very widely regarded as being by Giorgione, but which has no absolute security behind it, but is surely uh, a picture of real quality. And uh, you might, although again it's a very imperfect analogy, you might compare uh, Judith's face with that of the Laura from Vienna, which, to repeat that point, is really secure. The Laura is a sort of imaginative portrait, but clearly um, can be compared to some degree with portraits in the world of Giorgione. Uh, the painting on the left, also in the show, uh, painting from Berlin, uh, if it is by Giorgione, surely has to be a very early one. It doesn't uh, seem to be exactly the same either as the Laura or the San Diego portrait. Uh, I sort of believe in it, but there are increasing moves to make it a Titian. Uh, another, and I think better, comparison, the uh, San Diego portrait on the right and a rather battered picture, which was originally, we know, of bigger format and showed David with, in front of him, the head of Goliath. And the invention of that, I think, has to be by Giorgione, but I personally also believe that the picture I'm showing you on the left, which is in uh, Braunschweig, Brunswick in Germany, is uh, the Giorgione. And intriguingly, it's painted over a Madonna composition which is found in the world of Catena. So if there's this inscription saying that Giorgione and Catena were pals, that's a pretty weird coincidence if it's not by Giorgione. The other great picture in the show, I would imagine later than the San Diego portrait, but therefore from the last years of Giorgione's life, which has tremendously good uh, chance, I would say, of being by him and is a, is a superlative work of art, is the old lady who's carrying this inscription that says, Col Tempo, um, a chirpy thought. She's saying, with time, you'll all end up being a toothless crone like me. Um, well, maybe not. Uh, there were no facelifts in those days. <laughs> uh, but the quality of this picture uh, is extraordinary. And it's not, again, this is a very imperfect analogy, but I do think that that treatment of the hand uh, shows an artist who's very interested in Leonardo. I'm showing you the lady with the ermine by Leonardo. And uh, there are good reasons for believing that Giorgione was very interested in Leonardo, and notably in the form of this picture, which I certainly think is by him, where it's quite difficult to see it, where this figure is uh, adapted from this Leonardo drawing, and this one is sort of in the gloaming there, but that head, believe me, is hiding there. There are all sorts of other pictures in the show of immense quality. Uh, increasingly, every time I have gone round, I've sort of wanted 
them all to be by different people rather than all to be by the same people, and I don't have real answers. The one which I'd be most tempted to believe in as a Giorgione, I guess, is this one from Budapest. Very stunning picture. Uh, but these kinds of things seem to me completely different. Doesn't mean they're bad, not a bit of it, but just different. Uh, and then, and I'm sorry, he's looking very ghostly, but he is again upstairs. There's a picture like this, um, the Tramonto, the evening uh, landscape from the National Gallery, painting of extraordinary artistic quality, which, again, it's incredibly alluring to believe comes from the world of Giorgione, and in, I'm perfectly happy for it to be a Giorgione, personally. It's a picture that has, uh, again, suffered quite a lot. It's had strange repaintings, which have now basically been removed. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that it's a very, very tricky one because um, it's not absolutely clear uh, what every detail of its subject is. Um, this is George and the Dragon, and maybe this is meant to be some scene to do with other saints. But be that as it may, what is absolutely guaranteed is that it's an all-but-pure landscape with tiny figures, and that's just not something in my whiz-through that you've seen, uh, because there isn't anything quite like that by Giorgione. So the challenge of a work like this is to find the point of comparison, I suppose, through looking at the landscape backgrounds of pictures of slightly different kinds. But it's a bit of a one-off within what we have. Uh, and I am now concluding with these two again, uh, the Dresden Venus, which, uh, if I'm right in suspecting that it is the picture Michiel's talking about, uh, would be a collaborative effort between Giorgione and Titian, and the picture that is definitely Titian, but a very significantly later date, the Venus of Urbino. And again, it's always up to a point anyway, back to the same difficulty. Uh, these two Venuses seem to me profoundly different in character. Can that simply be explained if you want the Dresden Venus to be by Titian by the fact that they're of different periods, done at significantly different times by the same guy, or is the difference to do with the fact, in addition, that they're by different artists? This is uh, very, very um, tricky stuff. Uh, these are deep waters, as I think um, Dr. Watson was inclined to say, Sherlock Holmes. And maybe Sherlock Holmes could have done it. Uh, maybe Hercule Poirot could have done it. But I don't think art history can do it. And I've just, I hope, not tried to tell you what you should think or what you should believe, but rather uh, attempted to give you an insight into what a horrible nightmare it is trying to work it out. But equally, I hasten to add one that's tremendous fun. It's grand to look at these wonderful pictures and to struggle over who the heck they're by. Thank you very much.
Thank you for listening. For more information about the Royal Academy, please visit www.royalacademy.org.uk.